J-Bone here. On today's episode, I'll be reacting to five voicemails left by Formula Bone subscribers that span a wide variety of Formula One topics, including F1 Sprint, Charles Leclerc to Mercedes, the weird relationship between Red Bull and AlphaTauri, and more. So let's dive in, folks. J-Bone! I saw Formula One just announced next year's six F1 Sprint locations. What do you think of them? J-Bone. Back in September, Formula One announced that they'd be increasing the number of F1 Sprint race weekends per Formula One season from three to six going forwards. This decision to expand the Sprint experiment was met with a signature mix of both anger and elation that only two Formula One things seem to be able to consistently elicit, those two things being F1 Sprint and Abu Dhabi 2021. If you're wondering my take on F1 Sprint weekends, I'm pretty much down the middle on them. Friday is an objectively boring day of a normal race weekend for the vast majority of race fans, and Sprint weekends, having qualifying on Friday, the Sprint race on Saturday, and the Grand Prix on Sunday, objectively make every day of the race weekend exciting and are thus good for both the spectacle as well as growing the sport. However, sometimes, what's good for the spectacle and growing the sport doesn't fully align with the traditions of that sport. And I think that definitely applies to sprint weekends because of how much they affect qualifying. Qualifying is meant to be a very important part of any Formula One race weekend and F1 sprint weekends undeniably cheapen qualifying in a number of ways. First off, and most importantly, Sprint weekends make qualifying no longer determine the Grand Prix grid, which is supposed to be the entire point of qualifying. And second, sprint weekends unfairly favor the top teams by giving them all 100 kilometers on track on Saturday to recover if they ended up qualifying out of position. And it gives the midfield and backmarker teams 100 kilometers on track to fruitlessly attempt to defend if they ended up qualifying out of position. Shouts, by the way, to K-Mag in Brazil. The candle that burns twice as bright burns half as long. Anyways, whether you love it or hate it or are stuck in the middle with J-Bone, Formula One just announced what the six locations for those six 2023 sprint races are going to be, and they are as follows. The Azerbaijan Grand Prix, the Austrian Grand Prix, the Belgian Grand Prix, the Qatar Grand Prix, the United States Grand Prix at Coda. I feel like I need to clarify that, seeing as there are three United States races next season. And finally, the Sao Paulo Grand Prix. Everybody knows that what makes a good sprint race is a circuit that allows for a lot of overtaking. So let's see how these six circuits shape up. By the way, shouts to Reddit user catching is one thing for compiling all this overtake data. Four of these six races were in the top six for Grand Prix overtakes in 2022, those being the USGP at Coda, Brazil, Belgium, and Austria, with the USGP actually featuring the most overtakes of any Grand Prix in the 2022 season. So that's a good start. Of the two remaining races, the Qatar Grand Prix was not run this past season, so we don't have data on how overtake-friendly it is with this new generation of cars. However, if we look back to 2021, the Qatar Grand Prix was top six for overtakes, which is a great sign that it will feature plenty of overtakes next season. And finally, there is the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, which almost counterintuitively, considering its famously long straight, actually is tied for the third fewest amount of overtakes in 2022 at just 23. Despite the fact that Baku is my favorite circuit, 
It is the one sprint host that I am worried will not produce a great sprint race next season. Sure, it will help that next season DRS will be activated after one lap in sprint races rather than after two laps, but Baku only produced 23 overtakes in its 51 lap Grand Prix last season, so I am worried about how many we will see in a 17 lap sprint that only features 16 laps of DRS. Next call. Hey J-Bone. I saw this edit of Leclerc going to Mercedes after Hamilton got his 8th WDC. Do you think that's actually possible, or do you think Leclerc is destined to stay at Ferrari? While Charles Leclerc clearly loves Ferrari and constantly credits them with kickstarting his Formula 1 career, I certainly think he will make a move to Mercedes or another top team at some point if Ferrari are not able to get him the World Drivers' Championship that he craves. Back in November... Leclerc said this about his Ferrari future to Motorsport Italy. Quote, I have a contract until the end of the 2024 season, and as of today, I see this deadline as very far away. I have always loved Ferrari. I want to win a world title with Ferrari, and I want to do it as soon as possible. When the time comes to evaluate the future, I will think about it, but I love this team. End quote. The way I see it, Leclerc will do everything in his power to win his first World Drivers' Championship at Ferrari these next two seasons while he's under contract with them. And then, based on how close he comes to achieving that goal, how he sees the future going, and what spots are open elsewhere, decide whether he wants to stay at Ferrari or leave. As far as a move specifically to Mercedes goes, George Russell is just getting settled there in spectacular fashion, I might add, and Lewis Hamilton has pretty much spent the entire Formula One season saying that he is absolutely not on his way out anytime soon. So I would be surprised if Leclerc were to make a move to Mercedes anytime in the next few seasons. Next call. Jay bone Love to hear your thoughts on why you think Haas decided to go with Nico Hulkenberg, who hasn't really raced in a couple of years, with the exception of a couple of reserve spots, over someone like Danny Ricardo, who is much more popular in the U.S. market and probably would have brought even more fans to the team. I've had a lot of people bringing this question up to me lately, mostly people who love Daniel Ricciardo and wanted to see him stay on the grid for next season. But the truth of it all is that Daniel Ricciardo almost certainly could have had that Haas seat if he wanted it, and he just flat out didn't want it. After the USGP, which was long before Hulkenberg was announced as Haas's second 2023 driver, Danny was asked if he was interested in the seat, and he told reporters, quote, to be honest, no, end quote, which, as you can probably guess, ended that possibility for him. Daniel's reasoning can be summed up by this quote that he later gave to The Telegraph, quote, the hunger is really still there, but I want to be swamped by it again. If I am active in Formula One next year and I experience a lesser year for whatever reason, then for my feeling, it is really all done with me in this sport. That instinctively involves a greater risk than a year on the sidelines, end quote. So Daniel's decided to sit out rather than go to Haas, because he thinks that a year away from the sport is a much safer route for him, both personally and professionally, than a year fighting in the midfield, which I understand and respect. Selfishly, it's also good for my Haas delusion syndrome that Danny Rick did not go to Haas, because having a prolific race winner like Daniel Ricciardo driving a Haas car would definitely have made me believe in Haas more than ever, which would only have ended in heartbreak. 
This episode of the Formula Bone F1 show is sponsored by Chime. What's the first thing you do when you wake up? Is it checking up on your credit score? Didn't think so. At Chime, that's exactly what they do. With their secured Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card, you can start to build credit with your own money. Chime reports your payments to credit bureaus to help you build credit over time. Their members see an increase of 30 points on average. All of this with no annual fees, large security deposits, or credit checks to apply. So start your credit journey with Chime. Sign up takes only two minutes and doesn't affect your credit score. Get started at Chime.com Fbone. That's Chime.com Fbone with F-B-O-N-E, all lowercase. The Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card is issued by Stride Bank N.A. pursuant to a license from Visa USA. Chime checking account and $200 qualifying direct deposit required to apply for the secured Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card. Regular on-time payment history can have a positive impact on your credit score. Impact to score may vary and some user scores may not improve. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply except at MoneyPass ATMs in a 7-Eleven or any AllPoint or Visa Plus Alliance ATM. Next call. Hey, J-Bone, I was just wondering, if you could replace one driver on the grid, who would it be and who would you replace them with? For the first time since I started following Formula One, you can at least make a case that every driver on the current grid deserves their spot. However, if I did have to pick one driver to replace, it would be Lance Stroll. Yes, he does have three podiums and a pole position in his career, which is admittedly a more impressive resume on paper than many other drivers on the grid. But Lance has been beaten by his teammate every year of his six season F1 career aside from one. And I still see him as a pay driver who I believe is in the sport more so because of his billionaire father than by his own merit. When it comes to who I'd replace Stroll with, I'm just gonna go with Felipe Drugovic because he's the reigning F2 champion and also literally is the reserve driver supporting Lance Stroll at Aston Martin next season. So it's actually mega realistic, aside of course from Lance Stroll's dad, Lawrence, owning the team and never allowing that to happen. Next call. Hey j now that Red Bull have that reduction in wind tunnel time, do you think that they could test new parts that they would want to get more info on with Alftari? Or you think that they're just going to stick to simulations and using Adrian Newey's brain? J-Bone! This caller has been sipping on some conspiracy. I 100% do not think Red Bull would ever risk getting involved in a cheating scandal related to their relationship with fellow Red Bull-owned F1 team AlphaTauri, which is already a relationship very much under the microscope. Remember uh, when everyone thought Yuki intentionally DNF'd at Zandvoort to help Max was not a great situation. Yuki said everybody needed MRIs. To the caller's point though, Despite having a wind tunnel penalty in accordance with their breach agreement for going over the 2021 cost cap, Red Bull still have one of the greatest F1 car builders of all time on their team in Adrian Newey, so I think they'll be fine without risking getting their entire team shut down. However, the caller's general sentiment is a good thought starter. Should Red Bull be allowed to own two F1 teams even if these two teams are said to run completely independently of each other and have absolutely zero information shared between them. Let me know your thoughts on this in the YouTube comments. Also, while you're at it, you can toss this video a like as well because I'm trying to hit 1,000 likes on this video. That's it for the voicemails. If you'd like to submit a subscriber voicemail for me to react to, 
All you have to do is toss me a subscription wherever you're watching or listening to this right now so that you become a subscriber. And then either call 1-833-200-0966 or hit up the Formula Bone Discord Bone Phone Submissions channel via the Discord invite link in the description of this episode. If you enjoyed the show and are able to, I'd really appreciate it if you bought a piece of Formula Bone merch available now at the link in the description. Also, be sure to follow me on social media at Formula Bone, where I'll stay posting F1 content all F1 offseason long. You can also follow me at my real name, Jared Borislow. Until next time, folks, J-Bone!